0: Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Jana. Jonah 1, 4
1: through 17. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased." Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, it is good to be with you here today. How many of you have ever had a difficult neighbor before? Don't raise your hand at the person sitting next to you. Just to be clear, maybe somebody invited them and you're like, yeah, I've been telling you. I had a uh, difficult neighbor. As a matter of fact, this neighbor was kind of the worst um, they, there, there was all sorts of things. I'll just share a few of them, right? Like, first of all, their, their house just smelled like substances that my family didn't participate in. So that was just a, kind of a little bit frustrating. They would have these crazy parties, though, that were loud and would go till all hours of the night. And uh, actually, in the morning uh, from some of these parties, we would wake up and we would go into our backyard and find beer cans that had been thrown over into our yard from their party. And so there's just a lot of little moments like that that showed that they really had no respect for us as a family or for our property or anything like that. Well, it wasn't just the way they treated our family, though. This is just kind of who this person was. They actually found out from some other people talking to them that this person was sort of the, just a shady business person who was a salesman that just kind of bullied people into buying things to get what he wanted from them. Uh, there was even a point where I guess there was an embezzlement charge against him at one point. And so just some some crazy things, not a good person. And at these, these parties and these gatherings he would have, I mean, it was filled with people that were a lot like him and, and people you could just, you just knew it just wasn't a place that you wanted to be. So, one time I was just feeling really frustrated about this whole thing. And I was talking to a mentor of mine who's a pastor that lives out of town. And was just kind of sharing about what was going on and who this person was and uh, more just venting than anything else. And he said, well, I'm actually gonna be in town in a couple weeks and over the weekend, maybe we can get some time together and, and talk about this and talk about how you can move forward. And I thought, great, that'd be, that'd be amazing. And so the, the weekend comes and we had made plans and he calls me in the morning and says, hey, you know what, actually, sorry, uh, something came up. I can't be there. We'll just talk on the phone in a week or two. I said, that's fine. Like we can talk then. Um, and, and that night there was actually a, a party at my neighbor's house. And so again, I'm just feeling frustrated. It was like, man, I really could have used that mentor talk so I know how to move forward with this. And, and I start hearing the voices in some of the conversation and I start realizing that I actually recognize one of the voices And so I peek out my door and I look and I see a car that I recognize and it is my mentor's car. This pastor friend of mine is his car. He is at the party. Now, I don't even know how he got an invite to this party. I don't know if he just showed up or what, but here I am just feeling all sorts of angry because I'm thinking you blew me off. And now you're going and spending time with this person that I've told you has just been awful to me. I've shared all this stuff with you. You know who this person is. You know who the people are that, that he's with. You know the type of people. And instead of coming and spending time with me and mentoring me and discipling me, you chose to go to this party and be with them as they kind of interrupt my life again. Can you imagine how I was feeling in that moment? How would you have felt in that moment? Well, I don't know exactly how I'd feel because I made the whole thing up. But here's the thing. <laughs> well, this didn't necessarily happen to me, 2,000 years ago, it did something very similar did happen to some church people at that time. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on the scene and he was a rabbi. He was a religious leader. He was a teacher of the law. And yet there are many moments where instead of going and hanging out with the church people and discipling them and and doing what they wanted him to do, he was found in the company of what they called sinners and tax collectors. These were people who had stolen, these were people who had not been kind, these were people who were clearly living a lifestyle that was disobedient to God. They were people who had even hurt some of the church people. And they look at Jesus sitting with his people and they say, what are you doing? Why are you with them? Now, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15, because this is one of those moments where this experience is happening with Jesus and the religious people. And it's so easy to look at this and so many times in church because we know what the right answer is. We look and and we see the way that people are responding to Jesus. We think, of course, Jesus should have been with the, the sinners and the tax collectors. Of course, that's where he should have been. But really, if you started feeling a little bit offended that my pastor friend, my imaginary pastor friend was hanging out with my imaginary neighbor, then maybe you understand where the religious people were at, how they were feeling in this moment. And so they asked Jesus, how can you be sitting with these sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus tells these three stories, these three parables to them. And so it says in Luke 15, verses three through seven, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. One of the things that we need to acknowledge in this passage is that very last verse where it says, there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. One of the reasons that that is true is because those 99 people don't actually exist There is no one who goes through life with no need to repent. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it tells us that we all have this sin problem. And what Jesus is doing is he's reminding the church people. He's reminding his followers that you were once lost. Maybe now you're found, but that happened because Jesus pursued you because he went after you because he cared about you and it's a reminder to us the church people the ones who have put our trust in Jesus to remember that we were once lost and pursued and so when we look at the outside world and we see people who are lost and broken and sinful we should be reminded that we were there once too and if God had a heart for us and he cared about us he cares about them as well and I want to start from this place because it becomes so easy to come to church week in and week out and we start to see transformation in our own life. But then sometimes that good transformation becomes a problem because our hearts begin to think, look how good I am. I'm getting really good at following the Bible. I'm getting really good at being obedient. And then we start looking out at others and saying, they are so far gone. God, what are you going to do with them? Take care of them. This is certainly what happened to Jonah well before this moment with Jesus. If you remember, we talked in week one about Jonah. He had a mission to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel, to preach about God. But instead, he got distracted. Nineveh was too difficult. Tarshish was calling and he ran the opposite direction as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly go. And we talked about how we have a mission from God to go and make disciples And at all times and all places with all people, we are called to be disciple makers, to do the work of evangelism, to do the work of discipleship, leading people to Jesus. And yet sometimes we get distracted because the mission's too hard. We don't want to go there. We don't want to do it. Or there's these other things that pull us away, that pull us in the wrong direction. And so we want to avoid some of the mistakes that Jonah made. Jonah is currently on a boat running away from God. And here's what happens in verse four of chapter one. Jonah chapter one, verse four says this, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And so Jonah is headed down a path that is not where God wants him to go. He's actually headed down a path that is going to lead to his own destruction. But he's also on a path that is ignoring others and that is putting others in danger. He's not going and doing what he's supposed to do with the Ninevites. And even right now in front of him, there's an opportunity to be a witness to some sailors. And he is ignoring that again. And so God sends this storm to wake Jonah up. And what we need to acknowledge is that sometimes God will use a storm to get us on the right path. Sometimes God will use a storm to get us on the right path. Now that may be that we were far from God and God wants to bring us into relationship with him. And so he's gonna use a storm to turn our hearts around and turn our hearts back to him. It might mean that we are like Jonah, that while we've put our trust in God, may we have a salvation relationship with God We're not living the life that he's called us to live. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full, but the only way you can do that is if you live the way God has called you to live. And so maybe there's this moment where God's saying, you're not living in your purpose. You're not living in the plan I have for you. And God wants that for you. And so he might send a storm to get you back on the right path in that way as well. We see storms as these bad negative things and they're challenging, they're hard, they're difficult. But sometimes if we can take the 30,000 foot view, if we can step back, or maybe we look back on a time of storm in our life, we can see, yeah, God sent that storm actually to put me on the right path, to get me back towards him. And this is what God was doing with Jonah. And yet Jonah decides to ignore God's plan. It actually tells us that he goes below the deck and falls asleep. And this isn't just a restless nap. They've taken a quick little break from what's going on in the world. No, in the midst of chaos, Jonah is in a deep sleep. Like the boat is about to break apart. The wind and waves are so great. This boat has to be rocking and shaking. People are probably screaming and yelling. And Jonah is in a deep sleep. He is so committed to his disobedience that he has completely shut the world out. And here's this moment where God allowed him to get on the boat because God said, Jonah, I'm still going to get you to Nineveh. But you know what? In the meantime, how about, how about I ease you into it? I'll use you to be a witness to some people who are kind of neutral. They're not as morally corrupt as the Ninevites are. They're some sailors, people you just don't know. You just happen to interact with them. You just happen to run across their path. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. And I want us to know today that God can build his kingdom on his own. He is powerful enough. He is strong enough to do that. He can build his kingdom on his own, but he invites us to be a part of it. God is inviting us to be a part of building his kingdom here in Carmichael, here right now in 2024, here on earth as it is in heaven. That's an invitation that we get. Now there's a a negative way to look at this and a positive way to look at this. And so let's start with the negative. The negative is this, is that Jonah is ignoring a real need of people around him, that what's happening to these sailors is a physical representation of what is going on spiritually with their souls. And not just them, but also we can look and say, "This is what's happening with the Ninevites." The sailors realize that they are doomed. They are headed for destruction. Right? We see them throwing their, their cargo over the ship. They're throwing their possessions overboard because they're saying, hey, we're, we're coming to the end of our life and, and these things can't save us. They're worthless. So let's get rid of them and see if maybe we can just get a few more moments. They're crying out to their gods who are really no gods at all because they realize we need something beyond ourselves. We need, we need a spiritual being. We need some divine help, divine intervention to come in and rescue us. They are recognizing physically that they are in the midst of this storm that is going to destroy them. And they are begging for help. And Jonah is ignoring it. And sometimes as Christians, we see people around us who are on a path that is headed towards death and destruction. And we think, no, I'm too busy. I've got too many other things going on. I don't care about the spiritual reality of the souls of the people around me because I'm going to go and do my own thing. And we're found sleeping below the deck. Now there's a positive way of looking at this as well, which is that God is inviting Jonah and he's inviting us to come and be a hero in the story. Not the hero because the hero is God. But he is inviting Jonah and he invites us to come and be a hero in the lives of others. Jonah had an opportunity to have a heroic moment. He could have come up above the deck and said, I know why this storm is happening. And what I need you to do is I need you to turn around, head back to Joppa so that I can go to Nineveh. And while we're heading back to Joppa so that I can go to Nineveh, let me tell you about the one true God. But instead, Jonah sleeps below the deck. And so we have an opportunity to offer life or death to those around us. And what I mean by that is that there are times as Christians where we claim to represent Christ, and yet we live in such a way that is pushing others away. Jonah's life, his disobedience to God, was actually causing harm upon those around him. And when we are disobedient to God's call to demonstrate love to God and to demonstrate love to others, we might push others away and bring storms upon their life as well. And so if I come and I tell everyone, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. And yet what I do is I go around and I gossip and I slander and I'm cruel to people. That's not a good witness. You know that I've read that at restaurants that like that, that, restaurant workers, I'm not sure that this is true today. I hope it's different, but this was a few years ago. I read something that said restaurant workers hate working Sundays because the church crowd is actually the worst crowd that they get. They tip the least, they're the rudest, and they're just not a good representation of Christ. That's crazy. Like when we walk out these doors, like it takes less than like an hour for us to get to lunch and be rude to the waiter and, and forget that we're supposed to be representations of God's love. And when we fail to love God, to love others the way we have called to do, it brings storms into people's life. But the flip side of that is that if we do what God has called us to do, we can be a light, we can be a witness, we can help to rescue these people. God invites us into the process of building his kingdom. We get to come along and join him in that. What a treasure, what a privilege that is. But Jonah, he had other plans. So the storm didn't get Jonah's attention. It did get the sailors' attention, and they're thinking, Hey, this guy needs to wake up and figure something out. And so it tells us in verse 6 that the captain went to went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea in the dry land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. This is a crazy moment because here are these sailors who clearly are spiritual enough to believe that there is a divine power. And yet Jonah apparently got on the boat and they said, hey, where are you headed? And he said, just as far away from Nineveh as I can go. I'm trying to run from God. And they're like, cool, yeah, we'll take you. And so now in this moment when the storm is crashing against their boat and their lives are in danger and they're coming to the end of themselves, they say, Jonah, who are you? And he says, well, I belong to the one true God who is the maker of the wind and the waves and the sea and the land. And all of a sudden they realize, oh boy, we're in trouble. Like if you are running from God who has created everything and has power over everything, we are in trouble. And so they don't know what to do. But Jonah has this acknowledgement of God. Right? He said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah knows some things about God. But his actions have shown that he doesn't really know God. Knowing things about God is different than knowing God. The Bible tells us that even the demons believe in God and tremble. They know a lot about God, probably more than we even do. But they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with him. There are a lot of philosophers in the world that know things about God, but they don't know God. They've never put their trust in him. They're not pursuing that relationship that God desires with us. We as God's people are invited into relationship to know God, to love God. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's not just about citing facts. It's not about how many Bible verses you know. It's about really knowing our creator, knowing the God of the universe and having a relationship with him. And the other thing we see with Jonah is that he knows God's commands, but he doesn't obey them. Knowing the commands of God is different than, knowing, than obeying God's commands. And there's a lot of people who come to church who know the commands of God, but don't do anything about it. Sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that we're being obedient to God by being obedient to a few pieces of scripture, but not scripture as a whole. And so we look at the pieces that are easy for us, the pieces that we like, and we're like, oh yeah, I'll obey these ones. That's fine, I can do this thing. But I'm not giving my time, I'm not giving my treasure, I'm not giving my identity, I'm not giving all these other pieces of me to God. And so we convince ourselves that we are living in obedience because we're obeying maybe some of the commands, but not the others. And so we need to be people who know God's commands and obey God's commands. And when we step into relationship with God and we get to know him and we fall in love with him, we're gonna realize that the plan he has for our lives is better than anything else we can dream up for ourselves. It's not always the easiest plan, but it is the best. And that allows us to be obedient to God even when the call is challenging, even when the call is difficult, even when we're called to go to Nineveh we can take that step of faith because we know God and we know that he is with us along the way. God, I don't really want to do this and I'm kind of afraid, but if you're with me, I'll go. I'll take that step. I'll do what you've called me to do because there's no one like you and there's nothing that compares to what you can offer and what you can provide. And so Jonah should have been obedient to God's commands but again, we see how far away his heart is from God. He tells them he belongs to God, but he doesn't give them a solution. And so verse 11 tells us the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Here in this moment, we see these Gentiles, these people who are not part of the family of God are trying to do the godly thing to rescue Jonah when Jonah is endangering them. Where Jonah should have been rescuing them and going to rescue the Ninevites instead, he has to be rescued by these people who are far from God. And then they, these Gentiles, they are the ones who turn to God, not Jonah, But they cried to God. They cried to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Think about how good our God is right here. That he's pursuing the Ninevites and Jonah's running away. He says, okay, Jonah, we can be patient with the Ninevites. We'll get to them. Why don't you get on this boat? Because I got some sailors that I want you to be a witness to. And Jonah, again, refuses to do that. And so God says, okay, Jonah, I'm going to use your disobedience to win the heart of these sailors over. God uses the disobedience of his person, his prophet, to draw these sailors into a moment of worship, into a moment of acknowledgement of God. God is pursuing the lost. He's going after the one. He said, I'll go to great lengths to make it happen. But Jonah has other plans. Jonah says, throw me overboard. And sometimes we look at the story and we think this is a heroic moment from Jonah. Finally, he's being the hero. He's offering his life to save these sailors. But that's not what's really happening here. This is actually Jonah's last act of defiance. This is Jonah saying, I would rather die than go and share the gospel with the Ninevites. Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites is so great that he would be rather be thrown over, over the bow into the sea and face death than go and share the good news of the gospel with those who are far from God. And so we see in Jonah's story here that God cares more about people than we do. God cares more about people than we do. Now I know that that that's probably the most obvious statement I've ever made up here on this stage, but we forget that sometimes. If you have been a Christian for a long period of time, you have either heard this question or maybe you have even asked this question When we start thinking about the lost, we start thinking about those who are far from God and we understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so this question comes up where people ask, they say, well, God clearly doesn't care about the lost because what about those people who have never heard about Jesus? God clearly doesn't care about them. There's no plan for them. There's no hope for them. And so God must not care. Sometimes we as Christians, we actually use this as an excuse to not do what God has called us to do. But really when that question is asked, God is saying, I I have a plan. I laid it out in scripture. I built up my church. I equipped my church. I equipped my people. And I sent them to the world to go and make disciples, to be a witness of me locally and to the ends of the earth. I told them to make disciples always with all people. God's commands are clear. We have been invited into relationship with him and we have been invited into the mission of sharing the good news about Jesus. And the truth is, is that if every Christian took this seriously, there would not be a person on this earth who hasn't heard the gospel message in the next three years if we took it seriously. And this isn't something that's just happening far away from here. There are people in our own backyards who don't really know who Jesus is. Maybe they understand that there are Christian churches and they understand we believe in Jesus, but they don't really know the gospel message. They haven't heard the invitation to come and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and so many of us are sleeping below the deck because we're too busy, it's too hard, it's too challenging. I don't wanna go and do what God has called me to do. But we need to step out in faithfulness to God and do what he has called us to do. We need to recognize his care, his love, his concern for us and for all those around us to receive that and to demonstrate that to others. And so this whole time, God is trying to point Jonah on the right track and he's trying to get him back to Nineveh because God cares about the Ninevites. He let him get on that ship because God cares about the sailors, but God also cares about Jonah. And so when Jonah is thrown overboard thinking my life is over, God says, I'm not done with you yet. And here it is, the moment you've been waiting for for three weeks. We finally get to verse 17 where we find the fish. (laughs) Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And here is the ultimate example of God's love and God's care. For Jonah, for the sailors, for the Ninevites, and for you and I, and everyone we come in contact with. God is pursuing Jonah this whole time. Jonah had the history of God. Jonah had God's word given to him. Jonah had the storm. Jonah had the sailors. And finally, Jonah got a fish to point him in the right direction. God is demonstrating his care for Jonah. But in all of this, he's demonstrating his care and concern for the lost, for the one. See, Jesus actually points back to this moment and says, you want a sign that I'm from God? Here's the sign. It's the sign of Jonah, that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and the son of man will be in the ground for three days, dead and buried before he will rise again. But here's the difference. Jonah sacrificed his life to run away from the lost. Jesus sacrificed his life to pursue the lost and welcome the lost into relationship with him. And if you have ever had a moment where you felt like you weren't good enough, like you didn't deserve it, remember Jonah. Remember the way God pursued him all the great lengths he went to to say, Jonah, I want you and I want your heart and I want you in relationship with me. Remember Jonah's story because it shows us Christ's story that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jonah was constantly pushing people away, running from the heart of God, running from the mission, but Jesus came to reconcile the lost, to save the broken, to save sinners like me and you and all those in our areas of influence. And now he is inviting us, church, into relationship with him and into mission with him to go and make disciples, to go and share the good news. And so let's be God's people who are obedient to his command, who know him, who love him and who demonstrate his love to others. Let's go and make disciples and be the church that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we thank you for your love. We thank you that your mercies are more, more than our sin, than our circumstances, than our brokenness. They're new every day. God, your mercy has allowed us to step into relationship with you. God, your mercy is demonstrated in the way that you pursue us. When we were lost, you came after us. And God, now that we are found, you are inviting us to be on mission with you, to pursue the lost, to help build your kingdom here in Carmichael as it is in heaven. And so God, give us the courage and the boldness and the faithfulness to do what you have called us to do. When it's hard, let us keep our eyes on you and do what you have called us to do. And God, when we get off track, would you pursue us with your love, with a storm, with a fish, whatever it takes to get us back on the right path so that we can be in relationship with you and walk faithfully in that relationship and also so that we can share your love with others. And God, as we do what you've called us to do, as we share the good news, as we invite people into relationship, as we invite people into relationship with you, God, would you give us favor in our interactions with others? Would you soften hearts of those we have conversations with, those we have interactions with, so that they can hear the good news and receive you, put their trust in you, and not just become a part of the kingdom, but become kingdom builders themselves. So God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to be a witness of you. Thank you for your spirit that equips us, that leads us, that guides us. Let us hear your voice and respond to you faithfully. We love you and praise things in Jesus' name, amen.